Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's your boy Johnny Bananas, and I'm going to be covering a brand new season of the Challenge USA on CBS that, of course, I will be completely dominating on my podcast, Death Taxes and Bananas, on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. Head over to that feed and follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, fresh off his Sports Illustrated cover shoot, it's Andy Greenwell! Whoa? Yeah. Whoa. Andy Greenwell. Because that's the energy you're bringing. You're all positive. Always. You're all optimistic about the state of content creation. Here's the thing. When we walk into the Faraday cage that is this studio... That reminds all, me, I'm going to turn my notifications off. All the negativity goes away, because I'm talking to my buddy. Um, I'm not on strike in here. No, no, <laughs> you're not. You're no. just giving everything you have to the man here. Mm-hmm. I'm the man. Uh, Andy, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a little bit of winning time, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of Linus, maybe some other surprise news at the top. And then I think we're going to hit on some fall TV preview. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I got you to watch a movie. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite films of the year, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. And hit, it's, not, it's streaming. It hit Hulu. And so I've, I've adopted it as a watch product. Uh-huh. Fantasy has is, is obviously talked about this on, on the, uh, the big picture. But um, yeah, it's uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. And I got you to watch it over the weekend. So you're welcome. Yeah, no, I mean, I want to thank you. I also want to thank you for the opportunity to demonstrate once again for our listeners that when you ask me to do something, I watch it. Our um, Miyazaki pod is still not on the schedule, not calendared. Honestly, the way things are going, we might as well put it on the board. The drops of God continue to accumulate, yeah. making almost like a, like, a, like a bucket at this point of God. Mm-hmm. That's there for you. You yeah. can swirl and spit anytime you want. You could just swirl, and then you could spit and be like, not for me. I'll check it out. Can I give you oh boy. a roadmap to how to watch this season of Lioness since the first episode? Is, in like, Is it with my hands over my eyes? <laughs> No, it's saluting the flag. <laughs> okay, can, uh, can I can I make um can I can I make one other just like a, a top of show kind of comment? Sure. So one thing that I didn't realize. Speaking of saluting the flag, speaking of showing up for the man, a couple months ago you were on one of your you know three to four times per year trips to Europe mm-hmm. where you go to take the waters, you know, just get restorative bath, get your blood changed like LeBron. Yeah. And while you were away, Magic Mountain style, baby. Because again, 
everybody knows I'm Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky. Sure. I'm, I'm an easy guy. So while, um, while you were away, Kaya was like, would you do this ad read? And usually you keep me sheltered from commerce, right? Right. Which I appreciate. Um, is that what you think it is? A, 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 like a gift? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is it because I've been asked not to do that due to my radical views? <laughs> Go ahead. So I did a, an ad read. I, I'm aware of your, your ad read. So what I didn't know, you, you know this, I guess, but because I hadn't done ad reads in a number of years, I didn't know that they really stay in the system for a while. Yes. So basically, I did this ad read like in, I don't know, it was like February, March, mm. when my older daughter had a biking trip with her school and I was wrestling, as, as adults often do, with, with bike racks. Oh, and yeah. I made it seem like that was a really was big deal. Was it an advertisement for bike racks? No, it was an advertisement for beer, okay, which I love. But I, the but the copy was like, <laughs> give a personal affirmation of something challenging you did recently that deserved a beer. And I was like, I did this yesterday. <laughs> Got up in America. I know. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Lived in the same country as the kids in How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Yeah. So now this has been going on forever, and I'm now I'm getting some feedback, being like, "Wow, you really struggled with the bike rack." And I just want to come on the podcast a few months later and say, "Guys." I can put on a bike rack. Oh, like you, I, 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 that's that's unlocked. So can I make a suggestion? Drink more beer. Let's say the strike continues unabated. Yeah. Ted seems like Donna, it. Bob, Bob, all the guys. They're just like, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna cave. You mean what's you, happening? Yeah. You, you become Task Rabbit for bike racks. Yes, specifically for bike racks. And the only payment you ask for is an ice cold beer, no matter what time of day it is. <laughs> I love that. The payment part isn't going to work for me. Because whenever I'm going on TaskRabbit yeah. and a guy is like, we'll take beer as payment. Do they say that? No. <laughs> I saw a couple of guys who probably would have this morning in the sure. Lassen's parking lot. Sure. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, so I just feel like there's something, but the bike rack thing does speak to something deeper. Are you going to try and about, segue this into something? Go for it. No. It, of course not. I'm just going to talk about myself more. Um, I don't know if I've ever felt more conscious of mortality and human fallibility than I do during the time when I've attached the bikes to the bike rack and then I have to drive on a freeway oh for my 10 God. minutes. Yeah. No matter how good a job I d I've done, and let me tell you, beer worthy recently, I feel like that must be what the, 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 the passengers on the hijack plane would have felt like. Like every second, it could all go sideways. You know sideways. what is funny is like when you're driving on the freeway behind a truck mm -hmm. that seems loosely tied down full of like old refrigerators and pitchforks. Because, and you see a sticker that says, this truck packed by a drunk task rabbit. Uh -huh. <laughs> and you're like, God, this would be like a terrible way to die because I can see it. It's you like, see it. You have you, a lot of time to think about it. You have it. the final destination thing yes. playing in your head where you're yes. like, boy, I can just see that pitchfork coming right into me. And I'll feel so dumb yeah. in my last second. Because I could just changed lives. Because I knew. <laughs> but then we had another piece. And I do think knowing your wife's automotive And then history, you're just like, oh, Mike Lombardi, you made an interesting point there <laughs> about the bears. And then a pitchfork. Like, well, Bill Walsh really... <laughs> Yes, that was me this morning. But I also feel like maybe I was going to say maybe only I have this, but I realize what it's you know I know Phoebe, you guys sometimes have a little friction on the highway. Yeah, it's, it's not our, our happiest place. So what I was going to say is it's not just that then I am white knuckling it in the far right, like I'm driving on the shoulder to get to Pasadena, driving like 38 miles an hour. <laughs> and but the pro the added thing is that my kids are like everything okay, Dad, and I'm like trying to model like you know like confident. Yeah easygoing behavior. I'm like, it's great. Let me turn up the black pink a little <laughs> bit more. Mm, taste that pink venom. 
Mm. Um, so yeah, trust me is what I'm saying. I wanted to talk to you. I, so I want, you know, we, we've kind of gone our separate ways. There's <laughs> two paths have diverged in this wood. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just really locked in on what's happening in Lioness right now. Uh, the Li- penultimate episode came out last night. Listeners should know that this isn't just Chris talking to you guys or Chris talking to me. Like any group chat I'm on with Chris yeah. is just riddled with Lioness references and drops now. Well, because amazing things happen when you're not looking or when you are looking and you just have no one to talk to about I- I'm this. I'm not looking. And, and I yeah. on the sixth episode, or I think it's the sixth or seventh episode of Lioness, mm-hmm. there is a scene where Zoe Saldana and Nicole Kidman walk into a room and across the conference table from them are Jennifer Ellie, Morgan Freeman, Bruce McGill, and Michael Kelly from House of Cards. Is it an intervention? No, it's about whether or not she should have sent a kill team to uh, massacre some Al-Qaeda guys who were hiding out in San Antonio. What should she have sent to massacre them? That, uh, not, no, I, I just think team. that she's not supposed to operate on oh, American soil. Like if, flowers. You, if you saw Sicario, that's you know she you, did a kill team on American soil. Yeah, sick. <laughs> um, but she got her guy, you know. So and by got you mean he was he was removed from the situation called life. Um, but I just couldn't believe it. You know, it's it's just an in- indication mm-hmm. of where television has sort of arrived, where that mm-hmm. caliber of names is just like in a scene together. Yeah. In a Taylor show on a Sunday night, maybe only with me watching. I don't know. I, no, I think you and in much of America is watching. Okay. Right? Do yeah. you feel that way? I can't tell. I haven't I haven't gotten a lot of lioness ratings feedback, but I feel like yeah, I I, I mean I I'm gonna talk more about it, I think, once the finale airs next Sunday. So I think the the maybe I'll do a full But shouldn't you do it with a microphone? Well I'm gonna is it Labor Day Technically, would be a holiday, so I don't know if I'm going to make ask think, Kaya to like record us while I'm just like in an episode three of Lioness. I think you should do a forty minute voice memo, just detailing your thoughts about the Lioness season, about America, <laughs> yeah. about labor. I want to do it more like Campbell Scott and singles leaving mm-hmm. like answering machine messages from like different bars. Like, hey Kaya, <laughs> just another another note about Lioness. Okay, <laughs> I think that'd be great. Um, but, you know, we both watched Winning Time. We did. So, you want to talk about that for a few minutes? Yeah, I do. Um, I, again, I can't tell because we're totally divorced from reality and, and numbers and things. So, I, I, I don't know how many people are watching this show. Like, what You notice of- a, a real uh, drop-off in the ratings stories in Deadline and, like, mm. st- and, and trades, like where they're like, this is what the show put up the other night. Is that a good sign or a bad sign? Well, about which shows. And also, like... All shows. Like, I don't ever see those articles anymore. I think... I mean, first of all, talk about struggle. Talk about tweeting through it. Like, the trades right now? Yeah. It is... It is dark. It's like the trades, the FYC industry. What's cool is they the finally... The consideration industry is like, oh, yeah, there's crafts. Well, they finally... They did a, these trade the trade publications did a pretty good job getting in front of the strikes because they were banking interviews with actors yes. so far in advance yes. that I, I respect it. But I do think that particular well has run dry because now you're like making the world of Last of Us through craft services. Yeah. Which is great that they're getting a look. A hundred percent it's great, but that is not what they're hoping would drive content to their sites. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, on the plus side, the AMPTP hired a new PR firm. So I think that they're going to start flooding these streets with more pro Carol stories. 
I think that's going to be great. She had a, there was a, a write around profile over the other day. There sure was. Yeah, in the New York Times. And, and there have been a bunch of, there was a thing in, in Deadline being like, actually, this this is all going great. Yeah. So good job. That Carol's an avid gal- golfer. <laughs> terrific work, everybody. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether it's because nobody can agree on what actually is a reflective. Yeah, what's a number? Number anymore. Yeah. Like there, there's a lot of, I think, semi or at least fairly well respected third-party aggregators of interest, but that doesn't, that's not the numbers the, ser- the streamers are seeing. The streamers only share the numbers when they are incredibly favorable and, mm-hmm. and, and promote the narrative that they want to promote about biggest debut ever or whatever it may be. And this transparency, actually, and we will get to winning time, but the transparency is a huge really, part of the, what you guys are fighting for. I know. It's a huge part of the conversation, and I, I don't know... I, I don't know how that's going to shake out. As an outsider, as a non, yeah. as a non guild guy, can I can I just throw something at the wall for you? You can take or leave it. Yeah. Upload all shows to uh, this tr- social media platform X, uh-huh. uh huh, and just use views mm-hmm. as a completely accurate barometer of its popularity. I agree. Okay, cool. I think the social media platform <laughs> X is just a place to get a really like just sober sense of it's just a marketplace the world. of ideas. <laughs> you know, it's, it's robust. Um, so. I think, you know, when we were talking about the strike stuff last week, we were talking about how the aforementioned guys, including Donna, met instead of countering the, the guys writers, and Donna, the yeah. guys and Donna, instead of instead of countering the writer's proposal, the next meeting with the AMPTP was Ted and Bob um, and Donna saying, should we say who these people are? Bob for Iger, the... Ted Saran, Bob Iger of Disney, head of Netflix, Ted, Ted Saran, yeah. Netflix, Donna Langley, who's now taken over all of Universal. She was the film chief. Now she's in charge of television as well. They were like, this is a good deal. You should take it because people want to get back to work. Mm-hmm. They did not counter. They just said that the deal that they had offered on August 11th was, was, was the deal. Yeah. One of the points in that deal that has since been more publicized and ridiculed was that on the issue of transparency, because the writers and, and actors would like to know if they are participating in successful projects and feel and so that they can then say, I should be paid accordingly, which mm-hmm. was the backbone of the residual market, which used to be why people got to buy houses in this town. The deal point in the AMPTP offer from, I believe, August 11th was they agreed to let three representatives of the Writers Guild come into a dark room and review numbers over the course of the next three years without ever talking about what they see. But at the end of the three years, when we have to do this all again, because these these, um, agreements only last three years Uh when one is made, then the guild will be in a better position to understand the situation and negotiate forward from that. Okay. By the way, seems straightforward. Seems super is the, on the up. Is there up. any part of that that's like there are some shows that get like seven people yes, watching them? That's where I was going with this. My point is, I don't think I mean there are definitely cases where books are being cooked or things are being hidden when people probably deserve a greater share of the success than it might otherwise seem. But I do think by and large very few people are watching most of these shows. Mm-hmm. And I think that if people saw the numbers, they would be shocked. And not only would they be shocked, I think that Universal shareholders or, or Warner Brothers Discovery shareholders would be appalled and riot. Um, that doesn't mean that low numbers mean they're not meeting their goals sure. because they have weird yeah. opaque goals. We've oh. always talked about like there was, there was an HBO model of like it needed to succeed in one of three yes. sort of verticals of buzz, awards, mm-hmm. or viewership. Yeah. And if it could get all three, great. And if it could get two of the three, that's awesome. One of the three, 
one may matter more than the other. For example, a documentary series called 100 Foot Wave was just renewed for a third season based on two viewers, I believe, us. <laughs> Which is great for us, and thank you, Casey, for that. But that's actually a good point, where I was kind of just like, is this a singular obsession of me and Andy's and like a couple of mm-hmm. people who tweeted us or something like that? And obviously, if you get a third season yeah. of... Is that basically their drive to survive at this point? Uh, no idea. It, it Or is the cost... I mean, you also have to take into account it's a documentary. What is the cost of it versus a scripted series like Winning Time, which I promise we're about to get to. Um, I, I, I think... I say this not to throw water on the, I think, very necessary... Uh, desire on the part of my guild to get transparency. Yeah, someone on on a showrunner thread I was on was making a point about like if you sell your socks on Amazon, not your used game worn socks. Sure. I just mean like that's a different a site. Sock, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your sock vendor, Amazon tells you how many people are engaging with and buying it. If you put your app on the App Store, Apple communicates, shares data with you, and you profit off of that. Um, the idea that we make things, and then they just go into a bucket and a void, and we never see them again, doesn't make much sense. But I do think that there is a reckoning coming for this entire streaming industry, which is, what is it built on? Who is it built for? And I think full transparency would lead to a lot of crush dreams, as many crush dreams, if not more, than it would... um, It would also have a profound effect on the kinds of things getting made. And And I say that as somebody who watches a lot of YouTube, and sometimes when I read about the strike and I read about the state of Hollywood and I th- read about the incursion of tech into what mm-hmm. were traditionally like Hollywood studios that did a very specific thing that was based on an advertising or subscription model. I wonder whether or not we're going to start seeing all of this stuff turn towards the way YouTube feels, mm-hmm. which is not to say that there isn't good stuff on YouTube because sometimes, honestly, if you ask me at the right time, I might be like, YouTube's more fun than watching actual television. But... It's a very metrics-driven ecosystem. So mm-hmm. you can tell that people who make similar videos to one another understand, oh, if I say the headline this way, if the thumbnail image is this. And like, um, I, there is a world in which TV starts to feel more and more like that, especially as these half a dozen streaming services have almost too much content to properly curate. Not that they're doing that great of a job of it in the first place on some of these services. We can, we can always do a UX special, man. Don't worry about it. But couldn't you see a time where you're looking at Max mm-hmm. and there's the thing that you're watching or the thing like your homepage, and then there is an algorithmic right rail that's like, also, if you like this, there's this video and this video and this video. I mean, and you actually see that. the views. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that these companies, with the way they're oriented and certainly with the tech influence, despite YouTube being a tech company, I don't think they're that into transparency. I know, yeah. But I also think that it... it, it I'm just saying, if they were, I think it would change yes. how people made stuff. But also, I, I do think, and, and I am in lockstep with the Guild in terms of what is being asked for, and you know, I, I, I don't think I, I'm not deviating from what those goals are. But I also think it is important to understand that that TV has shifted in so many ways. It's hard to to do one-to-one comparisons between what the way things used to be and the way things are now. And we talked a little bit about Suits last week. Um, Suits is a is designed to be approachable, to be popular, to be something that you can watch multiple times. You can casually watch soft watch, as we coined last week. Um, separate and apart from now it's on Netflix, so it's getting these new eyeballs. 
um, in the ecosystem that birth suits, although maybe that's an imperfect example, but suits suits could have been pitched and aired successfully on NBC 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the ecosystem where that was the goal, it's a very durable concept for a show. Yes, yeah. and during and, and and in terms and and durable and approachable um, and appealing in terms of its tone. When that that type of show was the goal and was king, there was no I May Destroy You. That didn't exist. Mm-hmm. There was no Fleabag. Maybe in the UK there was, but there wasn't here. Um, and I think it is going to be, there's a reckoning coming in terms of the streaming model did allow and does allow for artistic flights of fancy to say we're investing in a person and an idea that we do think is important to bring yeah. to market. Now, I've spent months railing against the people in charge who seemingly no longer think that's important or their goals have shifted to gourmet cheeseburgers instead of just like appealing to awards class. So all that will shake out. But, you know, I, I don't want, as much as I do want transparency and I want writers to be fairly compensated and actors to be fairly compensated and all creatives up and down the line to be fairly compensated, I worry about a world where people are like, wow, look at the numbers on reservation dogs when you dig into the metadata. Mm-hmm. It doesn't justify its existence. And someone on, you know, an armchair person saying that because it is not as popular as Wednesday. I, I'm just pulling shows out of the air. But in what world is it ever going to be as popular as Wednesday? Right. It, what are we comparing? But I don't know how we do, I don't know how to articulate all this in a world where there are 450 shows with very different goals, all airing on services with very different goals. So... I guess now is as good as a time as any to talk about winning time. Yes. You wanted to ch- I, chat about that? I wanted to say two things in particular. One of which is so, it's, Adrian Brody is so good on this show. He, he really is. Jason Siegel, who is on many shows and does a lot of work, kind of doing one of the best performances of his career on this show as Paul in a, in a role that is like, to be completely honest, I mean, regardless of whether or not it's a, mm-hmm. it's a note perfect, accurate representation of what happened. That's a tough role to ask someone to take. Yes. Because not only, it's not like an anti-hero, it's actually a buzzkill. And, and Wes said in this show is like, you know, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy are going to make it. And you're watching this dude who thought he was the guy. Yes. And I think that that speaks to what is emerging as one of the show's critical flaws. And I say this again, I say it every week. Never going to miss an episode. Mm-hmm. Enjoy it week to week. But one of the critical flaws seems to, to me is this idea that we know who's going to make it. We know who's going to win and who's going to lose. And if there's any evidence that the show is popular, it's the autofill on Google. Where if you if you just start to type Paul, it just says Westhead fired. Like right. it knows, right? Or it knows people have been asking. But anyway, to say that if you Pope are John Paul somewhere is just like goddamn. <laughs> I had it. I had it. <laughs> I was number one Google Paul. <laughs> For Paul so, the octopus for so long, down so bad. <laughs> Paul Meskel coming up though. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, to, to a show where you kind of know all of those things, it is odd to me that it has steered so definitively into a hero narrative for the people who won. Like the show is called Winning Time, so yep. maybe it was already there. But it seems to me that if you're trying to make a show that will tell the untold story of a very, very, very told story you might want to throw a little nuance on it, you know? And so I guess coming out of this episode, and this isn't still the point I want to make, so hold, buckle up for this. Gotcha. But coming out of an episode where Magic is behaving petulantly, he asked to be traded, he's having temper tantrums, the show can't help but bend to him. 
I don't come out of, did you come out of this episode being like, boy, magic is really fucking up. Like he's behaving in a way that isn't befitting a superstar. I didn't. I was like, this system is failing him. I don't really watch it. I mean, because I know what happens. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not. Also, you are comfortable with moral ambiguity as you, as evidenced by your viewing of Lioness. (laughs) You're comfortable with that. My patronage of it. Yeah. Not just viewing. Yeah. I don't really watch it with like a, a rooting interest. I mean, Definitely not with a rooting interest because I don't like the Lakers. Yeah. But I don't think that I watch it and and think about how people got in the way of greatness, you know, of 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 magic. It does an interesting job, you know, where it's just like watch magic almost fumble the bag here or yeah. almost almost throw away what what we all know what happened here. But I guess to be completely honest, like my historical Ninniness about it is starting to get a little bit in the way of it. Meaning, like you just know it wasn't quite like that. Like last week's or episode. it's just like, like I mean, I I think it's just like part of the Jerry West stuff, and I start to get a little bit curious about like, is Westhead really like that? You know, mm-hmm. is Riley always completely right in the suggestion that he was trying to make? You know, like it's just a very complicated you, history. But you must have been happy to see uh, Gillian Jacobs back on the show. I sure was. For shout out to Chris Riley. Eight seconds. Yeah. Watching him writhe around on the floor. Um, hopefully, she'll be back for more. Um, Good to see Kurt Rambis too getting represented on the show. Rambis, Cupcheck, like all. I the... think Kurt Rambis should take over as GM of the Lakers. You think now or mm-hmm. then? Yeah, no, now. Really? Yeah. You don't think Palinka's doing a good job? I think Harden for LeBron's right there. Oh, here we go. Harden for AD and Austin Reeves. That's fa- that feels. Fair. Who says no? Yeah, that feels fair. Who not, says not Kurt Rambis? Um, this, this Rambis slander. First on the show and now this. The the thing that I was going to say that was so striking to me was winning time is an imperfect vessel for this argument, but in some ways it's what we've got, which is to say no one has any idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is this is a show that has a large amount of history to potentially play with. And as we've been saying every time we cover it, there were rumors or it was even supported in some of the creators talking about it in the early days that this show doesn't isn't limited to the Showtime Lakers. Like no. at a certain point. I could, think that they, there was there was a tease of of like this could go through up to LeBron. Like yeah, we it could, could go do, Kobe and Shaq. It, yeah. could do, it could do all of these different eras. The show laid down a card in its first episode by beginning. In 84. With the no, it, it, not this season. Oh, yeah. It began with Magic's announcement. Magic's HIV announcement in the first season. So without any other speculation as to the future, this show has said, this is the story we're telling of drafting this kid to that incredible earth-stopping moment. Because of that, I'm finding it really perplexing that we are spending this much time in the disappointing uh, Westhead years before Riley takes over and it becomes showtime. Like, this is the show is behaving like it's the crown. Uh-huh. It's behaving like there was a handshake deal, like the one there wasn't between Daryl Morey and James Harden, <laughs> saying, take your time. Really explore the richness of this text because you've got eight But years. isn't that the pitch of the show is how the Lakers right before they were really great? I mean, I know it's just the story yeah. of the Lakers, but it seems to be like, isn't it about the bus stewardship of this franchise? Yeah, it's just acting real, real uh, confident in the hand that it's holding and how much time it's got at the table. I'm personally... Which is is odd to me because it is not... This show is getting further than any show I can think of on the strength of its IP, on the strength of its incredible 
cast, which, you know, I, I'll say Adrian Brody is so good. That guy won an Oscar and dicked around for two decades. Now, all of a sudden, he's realized, oh, this is what I can do. I can just show up on dunk on people in succession, in this, in a Wes Anderson movie every now and again. Not a bad career. Anyway, it's acting just real confident in a way that I think is also harming the storytelling because we're just, we're just swimming along. We sure know how Jerry West is going to react to this. Last week, Norman Magic fix it all up. This week, they're mad again. Okay. All right. I think what you need. Me. What we need is a for all mankind-esque time jump. Mm-hmm. But like past the present into the future. Yes. Dr. Jerry Buss as Dr. Manhattan on Mars. I fucking love it. You know, looking I down on the NBA. It. Yes. This is, I mean, you had me at- Basketball um, in space. You had me at For All Mankind time job. What about alternate history? Oh, yeah. <laughs> One where Magic gets traded to the Sixers. What if next week Magic gets traded? This would immediately vault Oh, my pantheon. God. This show would be like the only thing people talked about for four days. And then I think everybody would be like, what the fuck are we watching? I would be so into it. If there was a show that was essentially the Bill Simmons trade machine hour. Yeah. Right. And it just played it all what ifs. out. Yeah, just straight up what ifs. And then... Kawhi Leonard on the Pacers. Season yeah. nine, we don't draft Markel Fultz. Yeah. And it's just for us at this point. It's just this. Maybe this is where the AI stuff is really going, and I should rethink my opinion, where Casey can just make 100-foot wave season three through 24 uh-huh. and fix the process Sixers for us. <laughs> I'm in. Who's, who says no? I was thinking about winning time when I was putting together our fall TV preview. Uh-huh. Because, you know, they often stuff will get announced a little bit out of nowhere, or maybe it's not on like a bunch of the lists, or it just hasn't gotten a release date yet. So they're waiting to sort of announce specifically in October or November. I think you and I have a a fair amount of confidence that the True Detective season is going to come out in the next couple of months, I guess. Everything we've been led to believe is or been told is that it's. But I will say that. Uh, when I was putting together this list, I was struck by the at least not scheduled next big, and I will call it HBO-esque yeah. because it's a Max show. It would be a Max show. But the next big HBO kind of Sunday night show. Because I think, and we can do full disclosure here, I, I, I believe, you didn't say this, but maybe I'm also psychoanalyzing, that one of your reasons you wanted to compile a fall TV preview was kind of like sending out a rescue flare. Is there something that we can become heliocentric well, about? I was more doing it because September is next week. That's a tough beat for me. <laughs> but, uh, Except school starting, which yeah. is a great beat for me and the children that are currently chilling in the Spotify green room. But I was, I was, you're right. I was kind of like, show me the way. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Sean and Amanda talked about Dune moving to 2024 on their podcast today. And I don't know if you have any strong feelings about that one way or the other. I feel bad for Frankly, Denis Villeneuve, who's had one movie yeah. swallowed up by the pandemic and another movie moved like into March. Because- yeah, but then he gets microphones in front of his face and he's just like, mm, but what if there was a Dune part three? But there like, is like Dune three, four, five. Relax. Just <laughs> relax. Finish finish your story. You fucking- My story? No, Denis. Like, finish your story, you dork. Like, you know what? I know there are a lot of paperbacks, but like... I think he wants to do like... God Emperor of Dune? No, he wants to do the third one because it's like, what if Paul... Was it wasn't great that Paul became this guy? What if Paul was traded to the Bucks? <laughs> <laughs> what, like, is that 
Is that the alternative? We just want to live in a world where Paul Atreides outranks Paul Westhead. Yes, that's a great point. Why was Paul Atreides fired? (laughs) Why couldn't Paul Atreides get along with his star player? The worm? (laughs) You don't mean Dennis Rodman. You mean no? I mean the the giant sandworm. Are they on the same? Oh, they are going to be on the same team. Yeah, he's fucking talking to them in the trailer. All right, but in the first movie, they're not on the same team. No, it eats the harvester, and like then he, yeah. he pulls that like hot move where he's just like, oh, I'm going to wait for the last farmer. Get over here, worm. Yeah. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> you fucking worm. You're, you're a big worm. Uh, why, why are we doing this? <laughs> why are we doing like a big improv <laughs> the, bit about the, the podcast? <laughs> Uh, I wanted to do a fall TV preview because I wanted to see a roadmap. And Wait, well, we were. I just the other thing about. Sorry, there was one other thing about doing that was interesting. In that the last time we talked about, <laughs> we don't do it often. We talked about a movie getting delayed. It was Challengers, yeah, right. The the Luca Guadagino movie that yes. Zendaya stars in as well. Yes, and one of the reasons I why, guess Zendaya's social media is incredibly important. That's to what films. I'm saying. Yes, that they absolutely did this because of her follower count. Like, she is such a asset. Yeah, because, you know what? The weird thing is, is that, obviously, people want to go to the movies. We yes. just got through a situation, a summer, where two films will probably gross $2 billion yep. cumulatively. Mm-hmm. Clearly, there's an appetite. People went and saw Gran Turismo. I, You know, like, there's movies out there to go see. Certain kinds of movies don't do well, maybe. Like, you know, maybe, like, R-rated comedies aren't hitting anymore. But... I think people would be like, yeah, Dune, I saw the first one. I'll yeah, go see the second one. Yeah, I one. don't get that, honestly. I It is probably going to be really good. It has a lot of really good actors in it. People liked the first one. I, 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 it may, you know, I think there's also, there was also some stuff like that, for example, it, there, there's a Galaxy Brain version of this where you're like, Warner Brothers actually knows it's going to be good, but their market position and profits are so good this year because of Barbie that if you push Dune 2, they can boost next year's. Like, Are, it, Barbie like wiped off the all the red off the books? Barbie is making so much money. Yeah, but like that much money? How much isn't isn't aren't they like really in the red because of the, the acquisition and, and starting oh, Max I, and like I, I don't look, I'm not a fiduciary. Yeah. I don't actually know how You're just a task rabbit. money works. I just get paid in beer, and it's delicious. I, I, I'm not saying that Barbie was so successful that David Zaslav is now making a profit on Max. I, that is not the case. But I don't know. That was just a stray comment that I saw, that it may be related to success as opposed to failure. It also could be that it wasn't done, and they want to preserve a relationship with Denis and give him more time. I think it's done. I think it's done too. Yeah. But but I think that, he was like this movie as of last week was coming out in November. I'm it's it but I'm on st- track for that. But I'm still looking I'm still smarting over the Spider-Verse bullshit where they were like because of the strike we must take the third Spider-Verse movie off of the schedule. See what you did writers and actors and it's like yeah. There is documented proof that they haven't even started that thing yet. Right. So okay. Documented proof. That would be good if you were like I'm a proof an guy. investigative journalist about yes. Spider Verse. I'm Seymour Hirsch of <laughs> Spider Verse, and my my facts are too hot for mainstream media. So I'm gonna have a sub into the Spider Hirsch. That's you. <laughs> See, this is this is this is why there's only ever gonna be one of these podcasts <sighs> um, ever again because that joke. That's a perfect joke. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, 
Then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. Okay, so here we are. It's Monday, August 28th. Uh, yeah. The next big kind of batch of shows starts coming out. I guess it'll be next week. Mm-hmm. September 8th, The Changeling on Apple, which stars Lakeith Stanfield. That's exciting. First couple episodes are directed by uh, Melina Matsukas, who I'm, I'm a big fan of, of her work. And it seems like, mm-hmm. based on the trailer, this might fit into the lane where Servant was, the mm. M. Night sh- show. That's mm-hmm. kind of a little bit horror, a little bit fable but mm-hmm. like... Pretty cool looking, so I'm I'm looking forward to that. That's that's September eighth, and then you get a barrage of stuff. Uh, Welcome to Wrexham, uh, which I I have. Do you watch that? I will watch this season, and this is kind of interesting because now, for me, and I think for most people who watched the first season, that was their introduction to Wrexham. Like they they had never really thought about this lower league yeah. football team um, in the UK in in Wales, and so now like. They're like, okay, like I'm I'm in. This is about a season that has already happened, just like Drive to Survive. Right. We'll air episodes of the F1 races that people who follow F1 know who wins. Oh. Right. So well, but even if I ever Googled the name of a surfer from a hundred foot wave and wrote like Nazare injury, like yeah. I would spoil upcoming seasons. Sure. But I right. won't I won't do that. Right. But if you like have looked at ESPN you know what's happening with Wrexham. So I, see. I think that it'll be interesting to see the reception mm. to this season. That being said, they're much bigger this year. This show has really caught on, I think, with a lot of people. And I will just say there's some stuff in this this season that they're documenting that I cannot wait to watch shown on television in this way. Ryan Reynolds, very successful guy, right? Yeah, he's really diversified his portfolio. Did you listen to... Um when Bill was talking to our, our pal Jacoby and Kevin Wilds, and they mm-hmm. were talking about maybe Jimmy Butler's just right about everything, and we should drink Michelob Ultra. Yeah, I didn't and agree with that coffee. Take. Yeah, oh, you still you still a little sore. I'm 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 like you hate heat culture. I just don't really like Jimmy that much, honestly. Wow. I well, I, I I was only saying it that maybe Ryan Reynolds is the Jimmy Butler of entertainment. Uh, I don't like anything that he has does. Has he destroyed multiple franchises that he touched? I don't think it was his fault. Who, Jimmy or Ryan? You think Jimmy destroyed the Sixers? I think Jimmy had some deleterious effects on the Timberwolves and Bulls after his exit from I, there. I, I think he's just a truth teller. Okay. I think he's just a blacklight. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. like he just exposes the fractures that are already there. Um, the Morning Show comes back on September 13th. John Hamm in one of two shows that he'll be on this fall. Mm-hmm. We'll get to the other one soon. That seems to be about, uh, speaking of things that happened in the past, it seems to be about the Sony hack. Great. But is applied to this fictional news network. Uh, Aniston's still there. Reese's still there. Um, <laughs> Put that on the poster. <laughs> Aniston's still there. The ringer. Here's one thing that I'm kind of curious about. Uh-huh. You're not going to be curious about it. Probably not. The Continental. Which is oh. a three-part mm-hmm. event series on Peacock that is a John Wick prequel about the young version of the Ian McShane character in John Wick. Have you ever seen a John Wick film? Do you have any interest in seeing John Wick films? 
Kind of. I mean, I, I think I, you would enjoy four, except for the fact that it's two and a half hours long. I, I really, this is not me being precious. I don't have any problem. This is with, not like Lioness Andy. No. Right. I think the politics <laughs> of John Wick align with mine a little more uh-huh. um, than Lioness. So I think I'm comfortable with it. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that either. You don't know what's, you don't even know what's happening in Lioness. It could uh, be like basically a James L. Brooks movie. You wouldn't know. I'm pretty confident that it's not. It's not. It's uh, not. I think one thing I do want to do is like write down the 10 wildest things that happen on Lioness and just read them to you and see your face. The Continental Colin Woodrell plays young Ian McShane. Mel Gibson is also in this. I, I think you need to read what you wrote in the notes. That your you shared your boy Mel Gibson is also in <laughs> this you. too. It's set, Thank I you. think, in 70s NYC, which I think is neat. Mm-hmm. The trailer certainly suggests it has lots of John Wick style action. So other pe- My yeah. main thing is three. Cool. I'm interested in this. So John Wick... He's really good at fighting and he loves dogs, right? He is the he is the the greatest. He's like a literally a god almost. Not he's not no, literally that's, a god, that, but that's he is my understanding awesome. is that he's the best at doing it. So and he doesn't just really love dogs. A Russian mob kills his yeah, dog. Yeah, and that starts the whole thing. Yeah. See, I know. Yeah. Look at me. Yeah. After I after I finish You're stra- in the conversation. After You're I finish strapping a bike rack to an electric vehicle, I can get down with an action movie. <laughs> my question is, are other people also super fighters? He's not this is he's not like, super. He's I mean, in the in the non MCU of John Wick, he's super. He's, he's like really he's good. He's like a blue chip guy. Yeah, he's, he's a five star player. Right. You know, and, and and he happens to wear blazers and sport coats that I think are somewhat bulletproof. Oh, I thought you meant like a Dame Lillard jersey. No. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Uh, Star Trek. Star Trek comes back. Uh, I you know I haven't really watched it. Nope. I got to be honest. It's Me a big. Fa- I'm Juliet Levin's a huge fan. I just haven't checked it out. Um, I want to take your temperature on Gen V. Yeah. Because personally, I'm good. I don't need a, a boys spinoff. And I just say, I say that as somebody who just five minutes ago was like, you know what? John Wick, I'll do that spinoff. But the reason why I'm into the Wick thing is three episodes. Yeah. I already find boys seasons to be rather long. Do you? Yeah. I don't because they're only eight episodes and they drop three at once. And then I'm like, oh, it's already done. Well, the I, episodes are long. I find the episodes to be long. And I, I think that I think a lot of the times I'm like, I know where this is going. But I also think, again, for me, I find it really flattering to watch the boys because I see my politics reflected so keenly in Homelander, you know? <laughs> so that's what I seek out um, when I like entertainment. No, I... I, uh, I really... Is the boy... Did they finish their fourth season? I have no idea. That's a show I really like. Um, I have mixed feelings about this and we'll just have to check it out because the idea is is a solid one. It's it, They're taking a page from the X-Men playbook, which is like, what if X-Men, but young. Yeah, and New Mutants, school, right? New Mutants, that's the same thing. That was the first spinoff of X-Men, basically. Um, I also think I, high school is probably ripe for the comedy of the boys. Like, I'm sure I, they can... I, I do have some built-in skepticism that I will say again as a caveat. Like, it might be good. It might be good. And I would love to be surprised. I, I just have this natural skepticism now of things like cart before horse shows, which is Amazon saying, we are going to do a, a, a Vought televised universe yep. and we're going to make all these spinoffs and they greenlit the spinoff without a show. Do you, but you don't know that, that they did that? They did that. Okay. I think that's not okay. a secret. I mean, I don't. they didn't film blank pages. They, they, they workshopped and they brought in Some, people. Nobody went people. up to Jeff Bezos with tears in their eyes and said, sir, I've been working on this spec script for the last two years about what if the boys was in high school? What if boys but young? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just am never really, I just don't think that's a good precedent, even though that is precedent for how Some the Sometimes when works. I'm like in coffee shops yeah. in LA and you see a 
guy with like wireless headphones staring at final draft and like studio and you're like oh yeah young william goldman over here mm -hmm. hope hope someone sees the vision mm -hmm. and it's funny to imagine that person writing like a boy's spec script <laughs> like then he shrinks and goes inside the other guy's dick fade out seymour hirsch goes into the spider-verse <laughs> it's like beautiful town uh, and a very healthy industry um hold on I'm going to start crying. That's so funny. Uh, October 6th, my wife's birthday, Loki season two. Starts. Happy birthday, Phoebe. Is she, have you already told her how you're celebrating her birthday? Um, I don't know that she could identify Loki mm -hmm. in a lineup of just Loki that said a sign on him that said Loki. Well, what? And if, then to be fair, there's lots of Loki. There's lots of Loki. There's yeah. a fucking alligator Loki. So that's true. She would probably be pretty charmed by that. Uh, she, does, she does like animals. Trailer was pretty cool, yeah. I guess. Uh, the majors piece hovers over all of it. Yeah. So, what do you, are you? Are you? I, I really hope it's good. I really want it to be good. I want them to stop the bleeding. Yeah. And I am going to go into this with as open a mind as I have gone into any Marvel project because they earned it. First season earned it. Good show. Did you see there was like a? I honestly, you may have sent this to me because what you do now is here we go. You screenshot. Yeah. Uh, meta newsfeed mm -hmm. updates. I don't want to give them the click. All yeah. the comic book sites that you don't go to. Never. And then you send me the headline and yeah. I'm like, what's the answer? And you're like, oh, I didn't click. Yeah. Do you like that? I just don't think it really le lends itself to a lot of good conversations. Well, mostly, it's, mostly it's jokes. The, but I saw one of those kind of things where it was like, Marvel confirms WandaVision season two not happening. And yeah. I was like, is she? She's not dead, right? I don't know. Oh, she's dead, right? Sure. Well, I mean, Elizabeth Olsen has put the character into a body bag yeah. with her comments about being involved in that enterprise. So, yeah, yeah I don't think. But I mean, that was like a you didn't, you can't, you can't fire me, I quit gotcha. kind of things, I think, for Marvel. Gotcha. You know? After Loki, we've got the fall but, of the House of Usher. But like, you ever just take a moment and just think about the fact that there's a Agatha show? Yeah. That like Catherine Hahn and Aubrey Plaza spent part of their year just being like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this spinoff of WandaVision. Like, let's really get into the like coven. in a cool way? No, that's crazy to Will me. Will you go into Agatha with, with as open a mind as you view Loki? That's, a, that's up to Loki. Okay. Isn't it? Uh, Fall of the House of Usher. Tell me about this. I, this I'm just learning about this from your I feel like messaging. I've gone on the Mike Flanagan Odyssey solo. You, you, it's not really, you don't like horror. Mm -hmm. uh, you certainly don't like incredibly slow paced her. You, you're more of like I don't a like it when you ask me to do things. Frantic, um, found footage kind of guy. Kind of. Um, this is an adaptation of the Edgar Allan Poe banger that we all know and love. I got to be honest, I don't think I've ever read this. Really, I got to be completely real with you right now. This is fine. This is what this is for. I may not have ever read a single word of Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, we, come on. You read Telltale Heart? Nope. The cask of I know Amontillado. what it's about. I know what happens in it, but I don't think I've ever cracked an Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, the like cask of Amontillado is like twenty-five pages, and they're short I, story. I don't have to tell you. I'm being honest with you. I thought I could do that. Wow, I can't. I mean, have give you me, ever, give me a canonical author that you've never read a single word? Have of. you ever watched a Baltimore Ravens game? I feel like that's yes. Poe canon. I wonder how much Poe Mal knocks out. Do you know because really, they claim him pretty hard. Do you, do you know what's sad? What? If you start to type Poe, it just autofills Dameron <laughs> in episode 10. That's a tough look for Edgar. 
That sucks for him, honestly. What's a famous author that I haven't read? There, there are definitely some. Um, the Bible. <laughs> no, I read every word. <laughs> um, you know what I've ne- you know who I've never read a word of? I think I just admitted this to you. Although this is not going to be, no one's going to aggregate this. <laughs> I've never read a Joyce Carol Oates book. That's she's written that's like eighty canon? books. Yeah. So what? Like, give me, give me like a. Somebody before the 20th century. Incredible. But as someone who last week was like, I'm never going to write a novel. And this week, I'm like, Joyce Carol Oates has written 80 bangers. And you're like, so what? No, because I said I don't, didn't read Edgar Allan Poe. And you're like, oh, I've never I've never read Oates. Like, but that makes it sound like everybody before that. I've read. Yeah. Everyone else. <laughs> um, you read Moby Dick? No. Yeah. You no. ever start it? Oh, yeah. 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 It's a, there's a lot about I think it's like, pretty good. Fish. It's really whaling. good. Did you read it? Yeah. Do you read it during the pandemic? No, I read it before that. Like in your life? <laughs> like when in your life? You're being real cagey about this. I read, I read it Do like read one it in, summer. I can't in, remember. It was in like prison? 17, like, 16. Yeah. Wow. 2017 or 16. It had been a long time. I had never read it during school. But like, not to do a callback to last week, except this is a callback to last week. If I ever find myself exiled to Belarus for staging a coup against Vladimir Putin, I would read Moby Dick. Like that, that's the time for it. That's when you can read it. Oh, you're one of those guys who's like, if I go to jail, I'm going to get super, I'm going to read all the book, great books. I just feel like there will be a time very soon, if anyone's listening to this podcast, (laughs) where people won't come to me with a microphone and money and be like, talk about this. I'll be like, I guess it's time to return to the canon. The thing is, is that Mike Flanagan has figured this out for us because it's not a true to the text adaptation. It's updated and set in the world of big pharma. And stars Bruce Greenwood and Carla Gugino, who's who were in his Stephen King adaptation, and Zach Guilford. I'm I'm excited for this. Less excited for Frasier coming back, but I was just never a Frasier guy. Uh, mm-hmm. That's on Paramount Plus. And, and, and if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, David Hyde Pierce is not back for this, right? I honestly wouldn't make can, it. Can you have Frasier without Niles, Chris? In this economy, was it, was, is Frasier one of your big sitcoms? No, but it was good. Okay. Uh, October 13th, Lessons in Chemistry, also on Apple. Apple has quite a few shows on the fall. Well, this is when Apple gets to flex. This is why Apple has not been that. You haven't really heard like the head of Apple or like or Tim of TV or Tim Cook being like, we must end this strike. I think Because fine. he's like, we have 10 shows coming out. I think they're fine. Yeah. So- I, and, and even if they didn't have shows, they'd be fine. Lessons in Chemistry is the Brie Larson show based on a best-selling book that my buddy Zach Galler worked on and has said good things about. Did you read this book? I did not. Okay. But- but when we were away this summer, an adult asked my 10-year-old daughter what book she's reading. And she was like, this book about warrior cats. I've read 33 <laughs> others. And she was like, oh, interesting. Have you read Lessons in Chemistry? And I was like, weird. That's what I said. Yeah. And I'd be like, I always want to like cater to strangers. I was like, oh, sounds interesting. Right. Is that why like when uh, I like opened the door for you and your daughters, mm-hmm. you were like, we were just talking about you. Because you're a stranger and I was flattering you? No, they were asking quite reasonably why I do not have access to the Spotify buildings oh. and you do. And I was like, Chris works here. And they were like, he does? And I was like, yeah. But I didn't get to interrogate that tone. Okay. Like, were they like so impressed? Or were they like, that's beneath him? I right. don't know. Well, like, let me know what they think. I will. Uh, all the light we cannot see is uh, something that does not look up my alley. Uh, it's Mark Ruffalo on a Netflix show a limited series adaptation of Anthony Doerr's uh, kind of magical realism, I would describe it, a story set during World War II. You didn't read this book. Yeah, there's just just like an orphan, and it's like 
whenever you start with like an orphan and there's like a circus and then there's a blind guy, like I'm always just like, man, it's time, it's time to go back to lioness. That, <laughs> Give me things I can touch and feel. When you're describing <laughs> this, it makes me want to uh, also watch lioness. I this is this Sean Levy? Yeah, like Night at the Museum guy being like, yeah. Okay. I think this is like a dream project. For it him. is. This yeah. was this was featured in. And Mark big... Ruffalo is now quote unquote on TV, which I guess he wasn't She-Hulk, but he was very much on TV on She-Hulk. This was this was the gourmet part of the cheeseburger menu in the. I don't know if it's famous, but the, we talked about it a lot. The Bella Bajaria, the head of content for Netflix, profile in the New Yorker. They were like, she's not just a fixin's bar; she's also fully invested in this. Yeah. Um, Anthony Doerr, huh? So add him to the Joyce Carol Oates pile. Okay. Never read him either. Uh, just a couple other things. I want to, because there's a couple down here that I really want to get to. Okay, so Buc- Buccaneers on Apple comes out uh, November 8th. Can we say what? This is an adaptation of an unfinished Edith Wharton novel. Tim what Cook, a time to be Tim alive. Tim Cook's just like, I have to burn this cash. <laughs> For real. Nah, I think this might be cool. It, but like, that Apple is just like, yeah, man, unfinished Edith Wharton novel. When I hear that, I'm like, this is really big Walter White, let's open a car wash energy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Adaptation of... Turns out people really want iPhones. Have they so. not adapted <laughs> the finished one? Like, there must be a finished one they haven't gotten to yet. Like, we haven't we haven't revisited Ethan Frome through a modern lens. Not yeah. since Liam Neeson went down the hill in the sled. So, all That's of a Ethan Frome? Yeah. Did you not read that either? Moby I thought Dick? that was... Uh... Is there a sledding in Little Women? I know she didn't write Little Women. I'm just saying, like, where, where's the big sled scene? That's Ethan Frome? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're really getting behind here. The <laughs> one that I'm most excited for is November 14th, The Murder at the End of the World. Yeah. My, like, this has been my thing I was looking forward to in August, and FX moved it into November. It's Britt Marling's new se- series starring Emma Corrin and Clive Owen, and it is essentially... I mean, for the sake of d- easy description, a Agatha Christie mm-hmm. m- meets Alex Garland type of tale, I think. Uh, I'm not sure if, about that, but that's how it feels. And Clive Owen is a billionaire and Emma Corrin is a detective-esque character and there's a murder on a resort. And it sounds really cool. Can I also just give a small tip of the cap to the to the marketing team at FX? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know them. I've, I, I don't even know who we're speaking of when I say this, but like... This show isn't an easy sell, I don't think, because, you know, it, it's Brent Marling. Isn't a, she made the OA. She doesn't make generally big popcorn things. Um, it's not based on IP. But between the title and the poster, which is really striking, it's Emma Corrin standing there with Clive Owen sort of looming behind her. I'm like, this is communicating a vibe to me and makes me want to see it. Yeah. That stuff still matters. That's all we ask for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. are you going to watch the Scott Pilgrim anime show on Netflix? I'll check it out. As someone who, I'm an, do you know I'm an early Scott Pilgrim adopter? Do you know yes, this about me? I know that. I, I own the first, the original art of the first page of the first book because I met Brian Lee O'Malley years ago. Before. Did you try to get Joyce Carol Oates to sign that at the most recent? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just told her that she should do something more interesting, like write about Canadian kids in bands. I, I'll check it out. I mean, I, I think I'd be interested in a new story rather than an animated version of a story that was done pretty well, but yeah. Okay. Sure. Fargo comes back, season five, John Hamm in the mix. Uh, Juno Temple looks like it's getting back to Fargo roots. Good cast. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That's FX. That's at the end of November. Echo comes on uh, 1129. Um, just in time, you're sitting down with your turkey and you get to watch this turkey. And then there's a couple of big ones that are just kind of undated, but, but they're lurking. 
Okay. The Crown season six, For All Mankind season four. This is the one that I'm 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 most jacked for. And this is another shout out to Tim's, shout out to Eddie, shout out to everybody at Apple. <laughs> Godzilla Universe spinoff with Kurt and Wyatt Russell called Monarch Colon Legacy of Monsters. It's incredible. That could be a good show. It could be a show. I mean, that's really that's wild. That's just a TV show. <laughs> I just I now feel like I have to go back and and like kind of dig into the monsterverse to see what I've missed about the monarch organization. Oh, that is that's the name. So this is when you say monsterverse, these are the recent Godzilla movies that yeah. have some sort of overarching. Yeah, and there's like, oh, and then the monarch organization are the ones that like got mm. Godzilla woke him up. Oh, that's great. I always my understanding of Godzilla was what it lacked was like a really like central uh, uh, narrative, like a, like you know, like like an origin story. I just well, the more. thing is, you go to Godzilla for the people, you know. Yeah, it's like it's like the Playboy of giant lizards. <laughs> um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Amazon with Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. Uh, Gilded Age. Did you watch Gilded Age? You Gilded did. Age has been dated, by the way. You're acting like people don't know. I mean, I, Gilded I, Age is roaring back October 29th. Okay, I'm pretty pumped up for that. Did you finish Gilded Age S1? Oh yeah. Yeah. You are the most yeah. reliable, reliable customer. I like to watch TV content. with my wife, and she is just like, let's let's watch a show together. Uh, and then this show, Sugar, with Colin Farrell as a detective on Apple. You had me at this show. All Apple is doing mm-hmm. is pro- producing all of the technology that we use mm-hmm. and making Colin Farrell detective shows. It's a uh, trippy detective series. It's mm-hmm. like a sci-fi thing. Fine. That's the that's the fall. Of that, 2023. That's my good friend from the picket line, Colin Farrell. I know. You guys, you guys got papped together. Yeah. Just two guys fighting for justice. Should we talk a little bit about how to blow a pipeline before we get out of here? Yeah. I, although, so we just went through that. Like, do you feel optimistic about this fall? Do you feel... I like to do these things just to get a lay of the land. Yeah. But one of the coolest things about doing this job is I didn't see industry coming. Right. I didn't see X show coming. And it was like, oh, I'll give this a shot. So, like, there's a show called The Gold that's on Paramount Plus in a couple of weeks that stars Jack Loudon and is about like a gold heist in London in the 80s. Like, there's, I, I want to op- be open to the possibility mm-hmm. that a show can come out of nowhere and just, and just rock my world. So, I hope so too. there's probably something here that I missed or probably something that might get a date and be announced all of a sudden. In the meantime, is like, is there something on this list that I'm like, I've been waiting my whole year for this? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. True Detective is probably the closest to that. But it does, this has happened before. Maybe there's just a brighter spotlight on it because of the, the state of the industry and the strikes. There's nothing on this list that is, that has us like um, doing the meme of the guy in the yellow suit standing behind the tree rubbing his hands. Yeah, um, that meme. Like, I love memes. Yeah. So I just wanted to shout out some of my favorite memes. Um, That's a, one of my favorite Edgar Allan Poe is the man in the yellow suit rubbing his hands <laughs> by the tree. You have read some. Um, that there's no returning show that we're like, let's get back at it. Yeah. Let's get back into it again. Let's, let, we can pick up some threads. That These last few before. weeks have told us we don't need shows, though. You know, you I, and me. Chris, I've known that the whole time. Uh, how to blow up a pipeline. I basically asked Andy to watch this because. Um, and we're not going to spoil the movie, right? No. We're going to like make a case we, we'll for it. We'll just set up a little bit about it. But uh, it's on Hulu now. 
came out earlier this year, or I think it's actually a 22 theatrical release. It's a 22 film, but I feel like it was picking up momentum. Yeah, and it kind of it had a VOD moment, and now is on Hulu and is available to anybody with a Hulu account to just check this out. Please check it out. There are certain things where I'm just like, this is an important movie. This is a fucking thrilling movie. Like they essentially made this movie that's about uh, eco terrorism, I suppose, for lack of a better phrase, or e- activism that borders on terrorism. Um, they made it in the style of like traffic, or or you know, like a really well done Steven Soderbergh movie, a really well done thriller, and it is absolutely electrifying. The score is incredible. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the performances and some of the content, but. For no people who don't know what it's about, it's an adaptation of a book by this of the same name, but really more drawing like a lot of the same like ideas out of the book, and then strapping a narrative to it. Because the the book is a nonfiction yeah, book, basically yeah. arguing that the planet is on fire. Right. This would be and like it's like Linklater adapting Fast Food Nation. Yes, saying um, the the ethos of the book is being like it is moral to take any extreme action necessary to fight an immoral system that is ruining the planet. Yeah, so you basically see this group of six people brought together by differing circumstances, but all with a common kind of villain in their lives, and that villain being like the fossil fuel industry and big corporations that are literally poisoning them in one way or another. And it's just one of those movies that I think realizes that like you don't if if just because the subject matter is serious doesn't mean that the filmmaking can't have energy and verve. What did what did you think of it? Well, I thought uh, you should you should say the piece that you said to me that I thought was really compelling, which is that separate and apart from the uh, ethics of the movie, which mm-hmm. are worth talking about, this is a very well crafted thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, it it pays attention in a way that makes it seem. We talk about this in TV a lot too. I think when you can see the you can see the lines, you can see the string, but you don't mind the trick. You know, you, you, it 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 understands genre filmmaking in a way that I think really suits the material because that way it doesn't become preachy. It just becomes um, sensational. Literally meaning it is sensation. There are sensations yes. that are impossible not to feel. Um, we haven't mentioned, I think, the name of the director, Daniel Goldhaber, yeah. right? Who had made the movie Cam? Yes. Which that was good. I don't know. I remember hearing yeah. about it. Um, He's got chops, man. Like he is really good. And I, I thought, I mean, I thought this movie was terrifying, and I in a, in a good way. I, I think that it's it's engagement with the world as it is, and particularly with quite legitimate fears and gripes and grievances by younger people. Yeah, is an incredible engine for a otherwise relatively straightforward A to B to C with some flashbacks to fill in the character's story. I do want to talk about some of the performances, but I but I also just want to say how thrilling it was to see a movie that was just so, or to see any piece of scripted content that just was about right now and reminding you how much story there is to be mined from the moment that we're in. Yeah. And also, not just, I don't want to be negative and be like, you know, let's stop retreating to our worlds of superheroes no, and but, dragons. No, but Catherine Van Arendag has a piece on Vulture today that's like a, from the fall preview for New York Magazine mm-hmm. and I think is like, it's it's a very backwards-looking TV slate for the fall. Yes, well, I think most entertainment is and this is kind of draws into the point that I was trying to make about, um, about Ahsoka, which is just like this and multiversal storytelling, which is just about people being so freaked out about what's around the corner that we're just going to try to fix everything that came before as mm-hmm. if that's somehow going to 
uh, lead to better effects in the future. We can somehow change the future by only if we only we have made better choices and we can do that as opposed to dealing with the reality. There's a deep undercurrent. Someone, if anyone's alive on a burning planet to write this, will write a piece about that, right? Like that, 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 that there, there's such an underlying pessimism in this generation of superhero storytelling because none of them anymore are suggesting that you can fix the world through existing in it. Yeah. They're all suggesting you need Dr. to go back. Dr. Fucking Strange to be like, okay, it'll be fine. It'll be fine if only we admit that um, Paul Giamatti was the rhino. And, right. and we all agree, then somehow it'll work out. But it also made me think that like, our, I don't know if they're our favorite, like in a blanket statement, but the shows that we have been most engaged with um, over the past year or two, whether it's Succession or Industry or The Bear or Reservation, or Reservation Dogs, Reservation Dogs yeah. those are all shows in the present. Yep. Now, they are not necessarily... In fact, they are decidedly not about uh, climate apocalypse. No, but, but they are they're, but I, they're I in mean, the moment. This is about climate apocalypse, but I think you could call this movie "How to Rob a Bank" or "How to Whatever." Like, I think that "How to Blow Up a Pipeline" and the the sort of um, ecological, like the eco anxiety that all these mm -hmm. characters are experiencing in different ways, is pretty prescient and relevant, obviously, totally. to everybody's lives. But even if you are like I'm I'm kind of like I'm not even that well versed in what's going on like in climate even, change. I don't know. Like even Vivek would feel like this is an entertainment. Uh, entertainment yeah, but we should shout out some of the performers. I was particularly. But we should. Um, I don't know if we officially said that. Like this is a movie about uh, five or six young people from all over the country and different walks of life who get together in a very modern way, like through the internet, yeah. through finding each other over various means to perform the titular act of yes, ecoterrorism of a specific pipeline that they they have identified as all, like is like responsible for a lot of their their sort of misery and this mm -hmm. like they, they or would be responsible for the same kind of misery that they have experienced if they so they want to do something big big and i think it's worth mentioning ariella bar at first she plays a, a woman named soshi in the movie and she also has a co-screenwriting mm -hmm. she she co-wrote the movie itself she's pretty captivating as essentially the lead although this is an ensemble piece but i was kind of blown you, away by, by she, you might know her from runaways all right yeah, I was pretty blown away by this guy, Forrest Goodluck, who plays a character named Michael and is kind of the uh, driving force of a lot of the action in the film. It is definitely the most um, unfussily militant, I would describe him, of, the, of all the characters in the show or in the movie and is is pushing the ball forward the most. But his performance, which com combines like a kind of real minimal stoicism but also, like, in his eyes and in his, like, actual, like, personage, like, just a ton of, like, you can just tell he's carrying all this baggage with him. And he just does an incredible job in this movie. I mean, I, it's interesting to think about it as a comparison to, like, a heist movie where you're, like, part of the fun, even if the tone is light, is they all have to have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. Why are they doing this? Why are they risking everything for the one big score? And in a heist movie, it's generally money. But in this, the movie does a really remarkable job in relatively um, modest sketches of making us understand and believe why these young people would do something like yeah. this, would risk everything for something. It's a revenge like movie. It's a revenge movie, but there's also, it does speak to a kind of very, very current, very relevant um, feeling of powerlessness. Yeah. And I also think, I don't think this was necessarily the goal, but it, in some of the casting, um, like casting Marcus Scribner as Sean, Marcus Scribner you would recognize from like eight seasons of Blackish. And then he's in this movie, and so he's he's famous in a very normal way. Yeah, like Christine I, Forseth is, is famous in a very nor normal way as well. She was in the Josh Schwartz show 
Yes, she's or, also yeah. like Ariel. She's a Josh Schwartz uh, graduate. She yeah. also, by the way, is the star of the upcoming unfinished Edith Wharton adaptation. I know. So don't put some respect <laughs> on her name. The R comes before the O. Um, but she, but yeah, it's so like they, they, you think of them one way and then you put them in this movie and you, like, what would, the, he's not playing the kid from Blackish, but this, this type of um, fear and, and, and anger could go anywhere. Yeah. I think that that was a smart decision. Oh, is it Froseth, not Forseth? It's Froseth. Well, you know, yeah. if you ever want to just jump in on the doc here and correct my spelling before we start recording. This is the first time you've ever shared a doc with me. That's not true. It's refreshing. O- often I will be like, here's here's the list of stuff. Um, you must send it to my burner. So, highly recommend. Sasha, obviously, Sasha Lane. Sasha Lane is excellent in this film. Lucas Cage is excellent in this film. But obviously, uh, I think Andy was like shaken up by it. I was, I was exhilarated by it. I was, I was just like, there are still like really fantastically energetic young filmmakers and performers who are willing to make stuff about how we are alive today. I I totally agree. And the movie doesn't make anything. It it makes the act of making the movie seem relatively straightforward and easy. And one of the smartest decisions it makes is, and I don't think this is a spoiler, it does not show the larger world effects of their action or lack of action. We won't spoil anything. No, It's not about that. There is a, it's a process movie. It, it's a process movie that fundamentally understands in a way that is crushing, and I was reacting to that too, that maybe all action is hopeless. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not, but maybe it is. Well, this is your opportunity to, to to read the great books in Belarus. I think so. Also, I drive an electric car, so I'm fine. <laughs> oh, you're good? You're welcome. Guess who produced this episode of The Watch Podcast? Let's take a moment and say it. It's Kaya McMullen. Say the name. Back from the Grand Tour. Kaya, I hope you enjoyed I mean, I know you've been listening to The Watch nonstop on vacation, but I hope, yes. hope, hope you had a great time back here. We know I did. It was time. lovely. I'm definitely not at all jet lagged and very just like honed in right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why it's great that you, that you work with us on a podcast that is just so tightly scripted yeah. and really yes. follows a straight line. That's right. You, know, you guys make my job easy. You know what? <laughs> Again, twice in one show. You're welcome. Everybody will be back on Thursday. Will we be talking about Ahsoka? Who will, can say? Will we? I don't know. Wow. Let's leave them hanging. We don't know. Yeah. It's part of the fun. I mean, who, there might be news breaking on deadline, like someone else joining OnlyFans, right? So, like, <laughs> there's tons of content Maybe for you. us to choose from. <laughs> Frankly, it's possible. Uh, thanks to Kai for producing. We'll be back on Thursday. Take care. Take care.